Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. For joining us for another episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. For the past eight years, Jeff Peniotti has served as the CEO and Executive Director of the Institute of Transportation Engineers. As of the end of October, Jeff will move into a new phase of life as he retires. Before leaving, I had the chance to talk with Jeff, not only about his years at ITE, but also about the 32 years he spent at FHWA including his final seven and a half years at the agency, serving as its executive director. When you finish listening to the podcast, check out the October issue of the ITE Journal, where Jeff looks back as well as looks forward. Jeff, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thanks, Bernie. It's great to be here and longtime listener and maybe second time <laughs> guest. <laughs> well, it is it is wonderful to talk with you. I think you and I probably go back... I think we may have first met when I was at Transcom, which was the part part of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and you were with FHWA. So that was would have been back in the 1990s. But then we had this long gap where we didn't really communicate until you came to, to ITE. So there's been that connection. But, you know, as I look over your career, you spent, I believe, 32 years with FHWA, about seven and a half years as the executive director. You retired from that. And now you're having a second retirement after spending eight years as the executive director, CEO of ITE. Let's talk about that career a little bit more, get into a little more depth. Did you join FHWA right out of college? I I did. And uh, maybe a little bit of the backstory uh, for me. So uh, I grew up in Connecticut, Torrington, Connecticut. and, And when I was, I don't know, probably in elementary or middle school, they were building a highway route eight it's a controlled access highway alongside our community in that part of the of connecticut it's pretty hilly and rolling hills and lots of rock and so there was a lot of blasting and heavy construction and my mother would take me to watch the construction and and i would ask well who who builds highways and she said civil engineers build highways and from then on that was kind of my career goal if you look at kind of my early what do you want to be when you grow up it was a civil engineer. And so I pursued that at the University of Connecticut. And while there, really was influenced by a couple of professors. One, Chris Davis, who was a transportation, transportation engineering professor, who really kind of moved me from what a lot of engineers that started in, in civil engineering focus on structural engineering or the, you know, the heavy construction side. And he really got me intrigued by the, the movement of people and and the transportation side and so i i you know sort of started being intrigued in that area and then i had another professor hal ridgeway who had worked for federal highway administration uh mostly in international experience and at some point had decided to go back and get into the academic world and was a professor at uconn so when i was graduating and trying to think about what i would do with my career where to get started he said, hey, you know, you ought to consider Federal Highway Administration. They're restarting this highway engineer training program, and I think it'd be a great experience for you. And so uh, I applied and was fortunate to be uh, selected for that program. 
And sort of that sort of set me off on my career with Federal Highway Administration. It was a two and a half year training program where you moved around the country and spent like six months in different settings. So I was in uh, Northern Virginia, in Florida, in North Dakota, uh, back in the D.C. area, uh, worked out on construction projects, worked in FHWA division offices. But I ended up doing a special assignment at the Turner Fairbank Highway Research Center in McLean, Virginia, in the area of traffic simulation. So I I was involved in doing a field validation of one of the early traffic simulation models. And that brought me back to kind of that interest in the transportation side. Um, So that's sort of how I got started in, in transportation and how I ended up ultimately getting started with FHWA. Over those 40 years or so that you've spent in the transportation field, you have certainly seen some big changes, particularly in technology, I would imagine, you know, when you started, I'm thinking you probably were still using a slide rule and and things of that sort. What is all those technological changes meant to you in, in terms of how you do your job and how you see transportation changing, not just for the practitioners, but for the public that benefits from the work that the practitioners do? So first, I'm a little bit younger than than the slide <laughs> rule. So I, I, actually, I did not use the slide rule. Uh, okay. I, I came along just at the beginning of calculator and ultimately computers. It was funny, when I started with Federal Highway, they had just begun to buy microcomputers for their offices. And it was like they were put in a position, it was almost like they were on a little pedestal in the corner of the office under lots of plastic and stuff and people would walk by and look at it and I I think mostly they were afraid to turn it on and didn't really know what to do with it and didn't use it too much. By the time I uh, finished that training program though and I got out to Turner Fairbank, particularly being a research and development environment, they had always relied on computing, mostly mainframe computing, but they had just started to really use microcomputers, early versions. And it was interesting, you know, there was just one and you'd have to sign up for time on it and, you know, and you'd have to do some, you know, some really simple stuff by today's standards. I think my career started at the beginning, really, of the, I think, introduction of modern technology into transportation. And it, and it had evolved throughout my career and, and mine did with it as well. So I, I spent about 12 years working at Turner Fairbank, mostly in the safety and traffic operations areas. Uh, and it was a great early learning experience because I I managed um, contracts. I did some of my own research. It, it got me involved in things like the Transportation Research Board and committees. Uh, it got me involved in ITE. As a young member, I had colleagues that were involved in the local Washington, D.C. section of IT, and they pulled me into that environment. So it was a great place for starting to be connected at the national level. And with people who were leaders in their thinking, because when you're working in a research and development environment, it, it inherently is about looking to the future and, and what's coming next and how do you prepare for what's next or how do you bring forward new ideas? So it was a, it was a great environment as a, as a young professional. And I got to just meet just some really wonderful people. But what I learned about myself in that environment is while I was, I liked kind of the technical side and the research and development side, where my skills were really much more suited were on the leadership and management side. So I, I gravitated more in that direction, became a team leader, became an office director out at Turner Fairbank. And then 
probably the opportunity that shifted my career direction the most was I was encouraged to apply for, did, and was selected to be the deputy director of the ITS Joint Program Office, which was in um, USDT headquarters and had and still has responsibility for the strategic direction of the ITS program across all of the modal administrations. That's probably when we first met. I think yeah. it was about that time frame, probably when you were with work with Transcom and I came into that job and I didn't really have a background in ITS. I was safety and traffic operations, but was very fortunate to work for Christine Johnson, mm-hmm. who I know you knew, who was the director of that office, who had come in not long before from outside of USDOT and FHWA and who was just a tremendous and a visionary leader. And I, and I learned so much working for her and with her about how to navigate in an environment where that was a high profile time for ITS, right? There were, it was at its early stages. There were a lot of resources, a lot of excitement, a lot of uncertainty, trying to figure out where would this technology fit within transportation. A lot of it was coming from more of the DOD side and trying to be applied to transportation. And so I, I learned just so much about managing a large program in a high profile environment, working with Congress, working with political appointees, you know, sort of a lot of things they don't teach you in civil engineering school <laughs> and, and that you don't learn in kind of a, just a normal, you know, office environment. But it's been great now to look back to that, you know, that was in the, the late 90s and to look at where we are today and how far technology has come in transportation. We were imagining that you'd be able to do route guidance, you know, have GPS and give you direction, real-time travel information in your vehicle. Like, you know, we were imagining that might be possible. And there were some early trials. And, you know, we were looking into things like collision avoidance system or collision warning system. And the fact that the vehicle might be able to, you know, help slow you down or stop when you're in an imminent collision or warn you about blind spots or maybe even talk to other vehicles or talk to the infrastructure and just, you know, so many different things that, uh, and then not to mention the the whole traffic management side with traffic management centers and communication of information and emergency response to incidents and sort of all the things that we we do there. So it's taken a while from 1990 to 25 years, right, to get to where we are today. And not everything happened in the way we thought it would or as fast as it would, but some stuff has happened even faster or, or differently. And it, it's been great to spend a career that's been around that transformation and change in, in my career. Kind of throughout it has been uh, involved in in technology and transformation. And it's been a very satisfying career. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you spent about seven and a half years as the executive director of FHWA. How did that position prepare you for what you then did next, becoming the CEO and executive director of ITE? The executive director of FHWA was, you know, sort of the capstone of, a, of my career at FHWA. And it was, it was just a fabulous opportunity to be involved in everything in the organization. So before then, I had, as I said, I had been mostly in, you know, safety, ITS. Uh, I became the associate administrator for operations, but it had been in that sort of space when you're the executive director of FHWA, you're basically the chief operating officer for the organization. So you're responsible for the employees. At that time, we had about 2,900 employees. 
you know, located in offices all across the country. And you're responsible for all aspects of the program. So I had to learn, frankly, a lot about areas that I hadn't been as involved in, some of the environmental areas and the planning areas, which hadn't been, you know, in my area. I, I you know, had to learn more about uh, bridge management and, you know, emergency response when there's a bridge collapse or a bridge incident and, and, and dealing with that, those kinds of things. Relatively rare, fortunately, but still happen. And, you know, just all of the different responsibilities and things that uh, FHWA does. Fortunately, that experience in working in the joint program office had prepared me for dealing with kind of the political side, the politics side, and the legislative side coming into that position. And I think it made me ready to, you work very closely with the FHWA administrator, that's who, you know, you're in the, as the executive director, you're the senior civil service position, and you're working for the administrator. You're sort of the the translator, I would say, between the political appointees who, right, they've come in with the president, they're there for a relatively short period of time, they have a very, you know, they want to get things accomplished with a particular agenda. And then you have all of these career staff, the 2,900 employees who many of them there for many years and are very invested in sort of the long term of the organization. And it's helping the political leadership understand the power of those 2,900 employees and how they can, if they really embrace them and they trust them, how they can really move their agenda forward. And it's getting the employees to understand that their mission and their responsibility is to support and follow the direction of the leadership that's been appointed by the president who was elected by the people of the United States. And and that's our mission. Our job is to help them be successful and sort of bridging that gap really is the role of, of the executive director. I was fortunate that Victor Mendez was FHWA administrator um, most of the time that I was in that position. And he and I had a great relationship. And I think we both understood each other's roles and let he, he let me do my job as that chief operating officer and executive director in Federal Highway. And I think I helped him and the administration be successful in their job and their mission as well. So with that as background, you know, when it came to ITE, I think it was an opportunity in a different way to take some of that same skill set and apply it in a different environment, right? So you're not managing 2,900 employees anymore. We have 25 employees. But at you know, we have now almost 18,000, then 14,000 members. They're not employees, but there's something about, you know, having to communicate at scale with large numbers of people. Uh, we have 11 districts and 71 sections and, you know, 150 student chapters. So there was some similarity to in FHWA when you're trying to communicate a message and engage and work with and collaborate across many different offices, you're trying to do a similar thing within IT. You're trying to tie together all of these different parts of the organization and see themselves as part of the whole and all pushing in that same direction. You work with a board of directors, which aren't the same as working with the political appointees, but there's similarity, right? They're there for a short period of time. They have a mission and agenda they want to accomplish in their time and leadership. You're here you know, as part of the career staff, and you're trying to help them be successful by also being a good steward for the long term of the organization as well. So I, I do think that 
those skill sets translated and those experiences. And that's been one of the satisfying things for me. When when you spend a 32-year career in one place, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, was it only good there or would it would it translate and work somewhere else? And what I what I found is no, good leadership is good leadership. And all the good lessons that I was taught in Federal Highway and all the resources they invested in me throughout my career, I was able to take those and put them in a new environment and they all work. I mean, you have to adjust. I had learned some things I didn't do. You know, I, ne- I never negotiated a lease. I didn't pick um, healthcare plans for employees at, at FHWA. I had to do those kinds of things. But the basic underlying principles of good leadership and management, I think, apply no matter what setting you're in, as long as you can adjust to that environment. We'll hear more from Jeff Paniani in just a moment on ITE Talks Transportation. Do you want to reach more than 17,000 transportation professionals? Podcasts like this one are a great way to reach a dedicated audience of listeners. Sponsoring an ITE Talks Transportation podcast is a cost-effective way to gain exposure and build brand awareness. ITE offers podcasts on key issues like safety, connected and automated vehicles, and transportation management systems and operations, ensuring your message is heard by the right people. For more information, contact Darlene King at dking at thewymancompany.com. That's dking at thewymancompany.com. You came into ITE as the executive director, taking over from someone who had been there for a long period of time. Looking back now, going back over the eight years or so that you've been in this position, what are some of your proudest accomplishments at the Institute of Transportation Engineers? Yeah, it's been a great a great journey. I, you know, I came in at a time when the organization was ready for some change and modernization. And so that's sort of where we started was just looking at everything we did and saying, you know, let's make it right for today and for the future. And so there were a lot of things that we went through early on to just sort of modernize the organization. I think we also, though, helped to transform the organization. And I say we, and then it was certainly our staff here at IT, but it was really working with some great international presidents and a great board of direction. And one of the major activities we undertook was what we call One ITE. And it was looking at the organizational structure and right-sizing it for today. There were some ways in which our districts and sections were structured that didn't make sense geographically. They, They weren't sort of aligned right. Uh, We didn't have common charters and bylaws for all of our entities. So as a staff trying to support all of these volunteer entities, when they're all a little different, when their boundaries aren't right, when the elections are at different times of the year, when their officer positions are different, when their operating procedures are different, it's hard to support them very well and to have that sort of collaboration, commonality of energy in a common direction in that environment, and not to mention providing a consistent member experience across the organization. So one ITE really took on and addressed those issues. We created a first brand new district in like 30 years. We changed the boundaries of a number of districts. We created 20 new sections. We worked with each of the entities to put in place common charters and bylaws. Um, and then did the same for all of our student chapters. And so 
not only the administrative part and the structural part, but the collaboration that had to go on and the give and take, frankly, that had to go on in that environment to do that, I think created a common bond and purpose for our members that has translated into positive energy, all pushing in the same direction going forward. And so, you know, it was a little stressful at times for everybody, you know, <laughs> and you're moving somebody's cheese around or you're, whenever you make change, right? Change is never easy. Mm-hmm. And not everybody is going to immediately buy into change. But if you can see it through, at the other end of that is just a lot of positive energy. And that, I think, really helped us get through COVID, which I would say is the second big thing for us. You know, when COVID hit, you know, we're founded on relationships among people and of getting together in person, particularly at our, our districts and sections. That's, you know, that's where our members come together. That's where, you know, they connect with one another. That's where they do business. And here, you know, here we are, and all of a sudden COVID comes along and we can't do any of that anymore mm-hmm. for, for an extended period of time, right? We're in this virtual world and we're all here in Washington from a staff and our members are all out there. And how are we going to, how is this going to work? And fortunately, I think we had made some good investments in technology right before that. And we were able to figure out how to use that technology to deliver member value and products and services virtually. So a good example is our annual meeting in 2020. You know, we're set to do an in-person annual meeting as we would always do. It was going to be in New Orleans. We're all set to have that meeting. And, you know, here comes COVID. And so we were able to, with our staff and using the technology we had invested in, put on a virtual annual meeting that we designed between about May and the delivery in August. And we had, I can't remember, over a thousand participants. It, It was a great success for us. And we did it ourselves. Like we didn't contracted out. We didn't go. We we kind of hunkered down and figured out how we could do this from a staff perspective and deliver it to our members. And once we did that and they engaged with us and they found value, we were like, we're going to be okay. We can figure this out. And we did. We, we kind of figured it out. We had to do another annual meeting virtually. We had to help our districts and sections learn how to use technology to do what they do virtually. And we gradually came back to the in-person world. We're back in. But that was, I think, a, another thing that I'm particularly proud of is our ability to navigate through uncertain times and come out the other side, not just surviving it, but thriving it. I mean, we today we have, as I said, nearly 18,000 members, which is our highest membership in our history. We're very strong financially, and we're able to build off of those strengths and bring more value and innovation to our members every day. And I think that's a good place for the organization to be. And it's a good place for me to leave it you know, as I as I finish my tenure here. Talking about, Jeff, you're finishing your tenure. You're going to be handing the baton to Steve Kusiemba as the next executive director for ITE. Looking ahead, what do you see as some of the things that you think still need to be done for ITE? Yeah, I, I think we're on a great trajectory, and Steve will be, I think, a great executive director and CEO. I've known him for Probably we've known each other for probably 25 years from back in my days in the ITS Joint Program Office, and and you know worked with him off and on throughout that period. 
was fortunate that he came in and joined me here over the last year as our chief um, technical officer. So he's been around ITE for a year uh, at, on the staff. And I was really pleased that the board and the search committee selected him to be my successor. So I think he he is very well positioned. We have a really strong veteran staff and some very good young staff as well. That that great combination of you know experience and youthful energy and ideas. Mm-hmm. So I, he's got a great staff, and we've just worked through with our board to adopt a new three year strategic plan for 2024 to 2026. So I think the elements are there for ITE to build off the success we've have had and to go to greater success. I think there's great opportunity in the industry right now. You know, we're only a, a really a little ways in to the IIJA and, and bipartisan infrastructure law with the resources and all of the programs that came through that federal legislation. So that's pumping both a lot of dollars and a lot of energy into our industry. I think ITE is well positioned to support our members in the implementation of that and what will you know, come along with that. Things like the build out of an electric vehicle network and the implementation of that, not only at the interstate level, but throughout every community, which is where many of our members practice right at the at the city, county and community level. So I think electrification is an opportunity, certainly. I talked a little bit earlier about kind of the what's happened with connected and automated vehicles, and they haven't gone quite as we would have imagined back in those days when we were working, you know, at the ITS Joint Program Office. And there's still a lot to do and a lot of potential in that area to see technology be deployed that can save lives, that can bring efficiencies into the system, that can help people who need access to transportation and may not own vehicles get access to transportation, you know, dealing with equity related issues. So I think there's a lot of potential in that space and and ITE again is well positioned there. And then there's certainly more the bread and butter of traffic engineering, transportation planning, just the the, the basic delivery of transportation on a day-to-day basis, which is where member many of our members are. And taking things like a new manual on uniform traffic control devices, which should be out here finally, shortly, (laughs) my friends at FHWA tell me, and look at the change that will come through that and figure out how to put that into practice, you know, on a day-to-day basis throughout the country and around the world in in some ways. So there's a lot, I think, lots of opportunity for ITE at, at both the, the basic level, but also at the kind of future of transportation level to, to help our members, to help our communities and to help the country and our, you know, I say country and we're, we're an international organization. So countries be better at meeting the needs of, of the public that we all ultimately serve, right? That's, that's what we're about is helping to serve a public and, and helping to have transportation be the enabler to the kinds of communities that we want and to the kinds of lives that the public we serve, you know, are looking to live. And I think there's lots of opportunity for IT in that space. You've looked ahead at where you see ITE going. Let's make this a little more personal. You're entering a new chapter of your life with retirement. 
what are some of your plans, you and Kim, as you go into retirement and some of the things that you hope to do during that time? People have asked me that question and I said, well, I don't, I'm not retiring to do a thing. I'm retiring to do a little bit more of a lot of things. So mm -hmm. I hope to stay a little bit involved in transportation. I'm not retiring to take another job. So that's, that's <laughs> one thing. You know, I, I certainly, I've been an IT member my whole professional career and, and will stay as an IT member. Um, I certainly hope to stay connected to the organization. There's some some volunteer things that I will look to do with our organization. I, I helped create a, a legacy program in ITE, which is a charitable giving program that supports our our younger and student members. Uh, we we provide scholarships for diverse students looking to enter the transportation field and support a lot of other um, younger member programs. So that's something that I want to continue to be a champion for. I've been involved a little bit on some um, advisory boards, both in the nonprofit space and in uh, the private sector space, and I hope to to be a little bit involved there. I think that's an opportunity to use that 40 years of experience and maybe provide some insights or advice based on that, but without having to own anybody's you know, <laughs> agenda or manage any folks. So on the professional side, those are a few things, but I also have a, a lot of interest. I, I've always been a sports enthusiast. I like to play golf, so I expect to do a little bit more of that. COVID got me into pickleball, so oh. I, I'm going to play a little bit more pickleball, I'm sure. I'm a big baseball fan, and, and particularly Washington Nationals. I have season tickets with a group of folks, so you'll probably see me at a few more Washington National <laughs> games in the, in, the, in the coming seasons. Kim and I have uh, you know, uh, some travel we'd like to do. We've done been fortunate to do a lot of it between um, the travel I did with FHWA and ITE. But it'll be nice to do a little bit that's not tied to a work-related trip. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we enjoy national parks and getting out to see see those. And we've seen a lot, but Glacier's one, for example, that we haven't seen. So we have a trip planned for there next year. And so we'll do a little bit of that. And our kids, neither's married yet, but they're both well into their careers and probably won't be too long before they get married and have families. And we look forward to that as well and spending more time with them. So a variety of a variety of things, I think, on, on my plate going forward. Well, it certainly sounds exciting. Jeff, on behalf of ITE, thank you for all you've done for the organization over the past eight years or so for the service that you've given to the country through FHWA. And I certainly look forward to continuing uh, to stay in contact with you. My personal thanks, because you were the one who greenlighted the ITE Talks Transportation podcast uh, shortly after you came on board. So it has been uh, it's been a great experience, and I wish you and Kim all the best. Well, thank you, Bernie, and it, it has been great. I, I, you know, special thanks to you. I, I appreciated when you brought the idea to me as I was just coming on board at IT about, and and this was, uh, I think, before we had quite so many podcasts out there, right? Uh, eight <laughs> yeah. years ago, in the transportation space, at least there, there weren't many, and I think it, it's been a great opportunity for ITE to engage with a, a wide range of thought leaders in transportation. And, and I think that's what we've tried to bring forward as guests on this podcast, both people that are in you know very senior leadership roles, but also people that are practitioners that are influencing the practice of transportation more at the day-to-day at the -day level. And I think you've done a great job in helping to draw from those guests different insights and advice and perspectives on transportation and how their experiences can help others uh, in their careers or in, you know, as they practice in this space. So 
it's been a great partnership with you and ITE. I look forward to uh, being a listener uh, as I go forward <laughs> in my post ITE career and continuing to see, you know, the great guests we bring forward and uh, the great conversations that you have with them. So thank you very much for all you've done for ITE through the IT Transportation Talks podcast series. Thank you, Jeff. And again, all the best. Thank you.